0: Kiss!
1: back to another edition of the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling, Heather Ferrari, providing our music coming in, going out each and every time brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. That's just south of 496 in downtown Lansing, head south on Washington. It's on the east side of the street and newly relocated. She's got the video on Facebook. Be sure to like the Record Lounge there. You can take it all in for yourself. Tom will be having a conversation with her coming up in next week's podcast. We'll go over all the new location, the frontage of the store, the latest and greatest in music, new music every Friday, old time radio equipment that works like brand new and all the greatest hits as well. All the all time greats that Tom and I like so much. And I believe our next guest does as well. We're triangulating podcasts here tom crawford of course he's the mayor of ann arbor he's everybody's friend wow. down there and one of his friends was an old friend of mine from my days hosting the schuling report in lansing he is john borton of the com, and in fact my interactions with john i believe date back to the late 90s when he would join brett bakita and me on wbbl am 1340 in grand rapids john don't mean to make you feel old but thanks for all the longtime support i really appreciate it
2: oh no problem i uh... I remember those days well, and uh, as far as the the whole old thing, uh, I just covered a a basketball opener with uh, a coach that uh, I I covered him as a freshman at Michigan, so
1: (laughs) don't worry about it. John Borton from TheWolverine.com. Now, I know there have been uh, kind of an evolution of the type of coverage that you provide, John, and how you provide it, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the program is to help promote your product and just take us through – what you were doing way back when, when Juwan Howard was a freshman, how you covered games, how you distributed information back then, how it evolved in the late 90s when I got to know you, and what it is like now in its current incarnation.
2: Well, yeah, the Wolverine Magazine started actually back after uh, Michigan won the national championship in the, the spring of 89. And uh, for a long time, it was a, uh, a publication that, uh, that came out 26 times a year. And it was, uh, it was kind of seasonal. It would be weekly during football. And then once, uh, every couple weeks, uh, through the winter months, and then, uh, once a month over the summer. And, uh, it was just, just the magazine and it would get mailed out and, you know, you'd, you'd try to hopefully that the, uh, the magazine would land on somebody's doorstep, uh, uh, during the week when we sent it out after football games, because everything was packed into that. And then along comes uh, the internet and the website in the mid to late nineties. And, uh, then it everything kind of shifted. Everything went to uh, the, the immediate stuff gets put on the website and, uh, the, the magazine becomes more features, more long-term analysis, all those kinds of things that, uh, you know, aren't quite as time sensitive. And uh, so the way it's evolved now, now it's a situation where you've got, um, it, so the immediate stuff goes to the website and the, uh, and the, um, all the, the, the feature stuff goes in the magazine. The website is, uh, is absolutely, um, uh, right up to the minute in terms of game coverage and all those sorts of things. And, And so it's. um, I think we've struck a nice balance between everything that that people want to get to moment by moment, and uh, and yet uh, still preserve the magazines for those that like uh, that solidly in their hands and. You know, it's it's more longer form, uh, old school kind of
1: features. With the Maize and Blue theme, I want to bring Tom Crawford into the conversation. And Tom, just take the listeners through the genesis of your relationship with John Borden, how you two met uh, covering the Wolverines. Of course, you're an alum going so far back, but John's coverage of Michigan dates back now 30 years to 1989.
0: Oh yeah, JB's, uh, he's done a terrific job uh, not to talk to him, not to talk about him like he's not there, but I know he's on the other end of the line, but JB, I, I marvel of the of the evolution of the Wolverine, and, and let's not forget the podcast that uh, I'm a part of, and that's, uh, boy, I tell you, that, that's been another ramp up in, in just the whole content distribution and up to the minute, uh, you know, discussions about the Wolverine football, basketball, and all sports
2: well there's no doubt about it i think that's a big part of what we do now it draws people in people you know can listen to those for free and uh, uh i think it draws a lot of attention to our website we're able to reach out we you and i have a, a lot of fun every week uh, putting together a podcast and i know that uh that uh, people are attracted to your energy uh we we have others uh former players that come in and do podcasts and you know there's a it, it's a it's great that you can do um, – the technology allo- allows a lot of ways for different uh, versions of things to go out. And, of course, the other thing you can't forget is, is I know Tom's favorite is uh, is our football preview that comes in a hardcover and <laughs> comes out in the, the, the uh, middle of the summer. He's uh, hes all over that. <laughs> and online uh, – It's, it's, it's
0: timely. You're talking about – it's not time sensitive. I, I, I take that. It's in my – it's in my uh, duffel bag, if you will, when I go to the big house, uh, to the press box. It's something I have with me. It's a great reference piece. And, and, and John, I mean, Jack Ebelin and I, we've been interviewing you on and off when we were doing radio for now 20 years. And, and Ryan, I've always enjoyed the interviews that Ryan did with you. And uh, it, I, do you ever just sit back and marvel at the just the, the passion level the Michigan football and basketball fan has and, like, say, wow, these people are, like, into it?
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about that because uh, everywhere I go, you know, if you want to have a job where everybody wants to talk to you about your job, uh, cover Michigan athletics because the the passion is beyond belief. We were actually in the White House uh, on the Friday before the Maryland game and uh, we're standing there waiting to – uh, go in the various rooms of the East Wing of the White House, and one of the Secret Service guys uh, looks at a guy dressed in uh, Michigan gear and, and says, uh, "Hey, go blue," you know. And they, we we struck up a conversation with him, and uh, he wound up going to dinner with us uh, that very night <laughs> with, a, with a group of about a dozen of us. So, yeah, wherever you go, there's uh, there are people that are very intense about uh, Michigan football and basketball and uh, various other sports.
1: Yeah, the Michigan fan base and alumni, they are everywhere. I know a very strong presence in the nation's capital. Again, John Borton from the com joining us. You can find them online, michigan.rivals.com. Of course, the Wolverine and its old form still continues forward now some 30 years later after John began covering Wolverine's athletics. He and Tom do a podcast together. I thought we'd join in the mix here and again triangulate the two and and put Tom together with both John and myself. You can follow him on Twitter at JB underscore Wolverine. We're going to kind of volleyball alternate questions here for you, John, myself, and then Tom will go back and forth. And I want to start... With Michigan basketball from last night you know I'm watching this kind of passively as Michigan builds a 30-point lead thinking yeah this is about what I expected this is what Tom and I talked about in their podcast on Monday night then all of a sudden I'm watching and it goes from a 30-point lead down to five and from the 931 mark remaining in the second half on a Nunez three an eight-minute drought exactly in game minutes to 131 until Isaiah Livers makes a layup in between in those eight minutes. The 25-point lead gets chopped into there down to five from 30 with eight turnovers and eight missed shots. What was the problem here for Michigan? Is this just a team trying to find itself? And from a coaching perspective for Juwan Howard, what does it say about him that this team kind of checked out for eight minutes then checked back in?
2: Well, you'd like to say it was just a ghost of Appalachian State coming to pay a visit. and uh, <laughs> I, I think the fans were getting a little uh, scared over that. But, you know, really what you had was a situation where a team got in a situation where they, they had a big lead. And I think they kind of relaxed a little bit. I think they stopped playing with some of the defensive intensity that they were carrying. And they got sloppy with the basketball. Uh, I heard someone liken it to uh, Illinois, Michigan in football after Michigan built the big lead mm-hmm. in uh, out there, and you know I, there's there's probably something to that. And you know that I guess the takeaway for it is don't relax. You've got to keep playing hard, and that's what uh, Juwan Howard. I guarantee you, and his coaches will be trying to impress on these guys in the days to come in the, in the film sessions and in all of that, because, you know, anybody can start to come back on you. It, they went from looking so good with, uh, even without, uh, the younger Wagner, who going to be out for a little bit, uh, here to all of a sudden they're in a, a mode where they cannot do anything. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think it, it was um, the strange situation where you had a team that got out to a 30-point lead. Everybody's feeling good. Juwan Howard's first night, and most of the questions he was asked about and answering in the postgame was what happened, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. It was almost like a, a loss after the game. Uh, JB, I'm curious to know where you think this lineup tweaks are going to go until Franz Wagner does get back and who knows how long that will be. And then who knows how long it will take to get him, you know, up to speed and, 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 and get in majority minutes. But where do you see the, it's going to be a three guard thing. I think last year, I mean, or last night they had Nunez, Eli Brooks and Xavier as a three guard starting lineup. Where do you think the lineup is going to go? And, and where's David DeJulius in this mix? He didn't start, but he almost got 30 minutes.
2: Yeah, he almost did, and uh, you know, I just had a long conversation with uh, David DeJulius for the magazine. Uh, you know, he went through a very frustrating year last year, where he felt like things were out of control, and uh, he 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 didn't have uh, control over the, his minutes, and now he is feeling like okay, you know, this is a new opportunity for me. I can I can get in the lineup, and I can. He had the one big. uh scrimmage in private where he hits seven threes. And, uh, he's, he's certainly a possibility there. He filled in, uh, didn't have probably his best night in terms of offense, but he played some, some de- decent defense and uh, he did some other things in terms of distributing the ball. I think it's going to continue to, uh, be a three guard uh, sort of situation at times, but they can also look for this. I think that, uh, it's quite possible that at times you might see a testy, uh, Colin Castleton, uh, two oh, yeah. big man situation livers can play that three very easily. And then you could go to two guards. If you're looking to go a little bit bigger, I think, uh, Colin Castleton has made uh, great strides over last year. And I think uh, some are intrigued with the notion that, uh, you might see the twin towers in in spurts.
1: John Borton from the TheWolverine.com joining us here, our special guest during this bye week for football and Michigan, but wrapping up the basketball game from last night at Chrysler, where both John and Tom were in attendance, a 79-71 win. Michigan holds on for dear life after their 30-point lead was chiseled down to five. Now some bright spots here, Eli, Eli Brooks, Stepped up in a big way, 5 of 11 from 3, 7 of 15 overall for 24 points. It was a game high for Michigan. And John Teske, I want to ask you a little bit more about him, John, and what you're seeing in this, what could be, I think, a breakthrough year. We've seen his development. It's been on a very steep learning curve. He's gotten better and better each year at Michigan. He goes double-double, 17 points, 13 rebounds, three block shots. Just how good can John Teske be this season for Michigan?
2: Well, I think that John Teske has a great potential. He's grown so much over the years. There are people that looked at him at first and said, you know, he's just—he's tall, but he's never going to make it. He's not—he's just a project that uh, can't develop. He he has proven that to be very much wrong. uh, He—he—he scored early last night and drew the defense to him, and then, which of course opened things up for other people, including Eli Brooks. I think that uh, as the as the competition ramps up, it's going to be interesting to see how much he can do inside. I think they want to to play that inside outside game a little bit more. And Jawan Howard very much wants to have him as a post presence. He hasn't been all that used to to doing those sorts of things um, because he's played a, a lot in the high pick and roll game and uh, shooting from the outside. We'll see what he can do. He, he's, I, I worry about him trying to catch the ball in traffic, especially when you got uh, Xavier Simpson uh, firing some fastballs in there. And mm-hmm. They had problems with that last night. Uh, so, but I, I think that, uh, you know, he is going to give them uh, a great deal. I, he's, he's one of those players that uh, has been around and uh, and has a great attitude, not the, uh, He's not a rah-rah, loud guy, but uh, he certainly knows what he's doing and, and tries to do all the right things.
0: You know, John, I heard your podcast today with Tim McCormick, our mutual friend, former Wolverine, former NBA player, and obviously a fan of post-play. He seems real bullish on the on the Juwan Howard system where the, the pivot guy is going to come into play down in the blocks, and and and, and that's got to be a transition, though. I mean, it's just not perimeter beeline ball like we've seen in the past. How long do you think it's going to take for everything to sink in with this new system offensively where that can be effective against really good teams when we get into Big Ten play?
2: Well, that's just it. I mean, you're going to find out through uh, all these games in November and December, and that's it's a good thing that they have them. It'll be very interesting to see in those two, uh, two Big Ten games that they're slipping into uh, December these days, how they're going to deploy and how it, things look during those because that's when it gets uh, very serious and and you're going to know a lot more i i, I just think um you, there are things that you really couldn't tell from last night they had it uh, cooking early uh appalachian state didn't match up with tesky size wise and all those things but when it started to fall apart you know you you, you saw things that uh, just can't happen in, when the competition ramps up, you can't have Xavier Simpson, uh, playing at, uh, at a very low level, which is just, uh, uh kind of, uh, jarring because he hasn't done that that much. You know, he's, uh, he's done a really good job for this team, but he, um, he did some inexplicable things last night and mm-hmm. had some, some tough moments. So, you know, I think, you're going to see things come along, but then uh, Franz Wagner Wagner is going to be yet another um, know, kind of a ripple disruption, a good one, eventually. But uh, there's, there's a lot of sorting out that has to be done oh, yeah. with this crew as they go along.
1: A lot of sorting out. They did force Michigan 19 turnovers by Appalachian State last night, but... Committed 17 of their own. And Xavier Simpson, not the line that he wanted with six points, six assists, six turnovers. Isaiah Livers also uncharacteristic uncharacteristic for him. Had five turnovers from the power forward position, just two rebounds. So Michigan will uh, check the boxes off here. We'll have some sound from Jawan Howard in just a little bit and they'll next be in action. The Wolverines on the hard court as part of the Gabbett tip-off games at home. That'll be next Tuesday, the 12th, 6.30 p.m. tip-off time at Chrysler on FS1 against the Creighton Blue Jays. Let's hear really quick from Juwan Howard his thoughts on the game last night when things got a little sideways for that eight-minute
3: stretch. Well, we lost our mental stability. Um, I think uh, we start thinking about that the ball wasn't going in the basket. We start thinking about that uh, deflection that led to a steal on their part, uh, which they attacked the basket um, by uh, making layups. Uh, they attacked the basket. When the shot goes up, they sent four people to the glass. They did a phenomenal job of uh, pounding the offensive glass. We didn't do a good job of blocking out. Uh, but you know what? That's a part of the game, areas where you have to you know, look back and film and see what we can improve, which I trust we will. Uh, make sure it does not happen the next game. Just got to play the game from start to finish. Every possession counts. Every possession matters.
1: And then following up, Jawan Howard talking about how the Wolverines deal with adversity, and no one knows this better than him. Part of two a Final Four and Championship game runs
3: with Michigan during his playing days with the Wolverines. In a situation like that, when you face facing adversity, the best thing that our group did was they stayed together. They stayed connected. Uh, I've seen it before in the past where teams I either play with or teams that I may have coached where um, when a team make a run like the, the run that they made, the group gets quiet. When um, guys start overthinking, overanalyzing. And one thing that I do not want our team to do is start overanalyzing every possession in their head, uh, putting their heads down. We have to figure it out as a group. Uh, continue to stay within the process. But mental stability is, a, is part of the game. You're going to have some ups. Uh, and you're going to have some lows in this game. It's a part of it. Uh, but you just got to stay the course. And our group did. So,
1: John, you heard Juwan's remarks last night. Didn't seem like he was that out of phase about how the game went. It's just kind of part of how it goes, how a team learns about itself. But one thing I noticed is that he's used to dealing with NBA players as an assistant coach. Now he's the head guy at his alma mater with younger players that are going to make a lot more mistakes, you would think, in theory. Just how do you perceive him handling this level of basketball as a head coach, developing these players, and getting them primed and ready the way we know that Tom Izzo does 70 miles to the north and west with Michigan State for March?
2: Yeah, I see uh, Jawan as a real teacher. I I put the uh, binoculars on him every time that they had a timeout, and uh, it, it it was an interesting contrast. You go coaching staff to coaching staff. Um, A lot of times I know John Beeline would huddle with his uh, assistant coaches before he would go near his team and and then uh, break into uh, discussions with them. Juwan Howard pulls a chair up in front of the the five guys that are in the game with the others standing behind, and he looks like he is in full teaching mode. I mean, I I didn't see any ranting and raving and and those sorts of things. He looked like he was fully engaged in teaching and, and making adjustments and uh I, I think it's going to be i, I think he understands that it is it is a, a different level and uh one of these things where he is just going to uh to be encouraging and instructing and, and tweaking things as they go along i think he's got a really good staff to work with uh saudi washington if you're looking for somebody that uh, knows these guys and has been around them and, and the system that they're in and what they know. You got a Phil Martelli uh, that uh, that was a head coach forever,
4: mm-hmm. and he can
2: give uh, tremendous input in terms of uh, different stylistic things and, and situational aspects. Uh, Howard Isley, who is another NBA guy and uh, but has been around high levels of basketball for a long time. So it, it's all one of those deals where – there's a mix going on not just with the different players stepping up not just with these sophomores that didn't play as much as a lot of uh, freshmen might in their first year and now might uh, might be counted on to come on and and do more things like uh, like Colin Castleton or David DeJulius but also with the coaching staff it's it's all new and that's why i'm kind of taking this year as okay just watch how it develops because uh you lost your uh, top three scores from last year there's a lot of different people trying to step up and step into different roles and greater levels of responsibility let's see where this thing is come late uh, february and into march
1: Switching gears now to football for the Wolverines, now at 7-2 and two on the season. And we mentioned in the midst of a bye week here after their 38-7 road victory at Maryland, they'll have an extra week to prepare for a Michigan State program in turmoil. Then it's off the Bloomington at Indiana. Michael Penix Jr. ruled out for the remainder of the season. Surgery on his collarbone. That is a big blow for the Hoosiers. They'll have to turn to Ramsey now as their quarterback. Michigan in the college football playoff rankings that were released Tuesday night, number 14 overall, and one of the higher-rated two-loss teams out there. Uh, John, just your finger on the pulse, taking the temperature of this Michigan football program, where they are at this point in the season, what's left for them, and how you feel they've performed to this point.
2: Well, I think they're a whole lot better off than they were uh, two or three games ago or, or five games ago. Uh, certainly, they've come a long, long way from uh, getting smacked around in in Wisconsin. I think it's a real shame that uh, between the inability to make a big play that would have finished off a great comeback against penn state and uh, and the level of uh, the the home cooking that uh, was out there, that they did not were not able to pull that game out because it would look so different right now, where Michigan eight and one mm-hmm. heading into November into this last stretch of games. Uh, But even so, they've come a long way. They're doing so many things better, 10 straight quarters now without a turnover, which is incredible given what they were doing early in the year. I mean, they were just uh, losing it uh, left and right with fumbles and uh, all kinds of mistakes. I think they're running the football better now, and uh, they need Shade Patterson to step up a little bit and his receivers down the stretch. And certainly the defense is rounding into shape. I just think this is a this is more the type of team that we thought we would see early in the season, but it just took some time.
0: You know, John, I'm glad you brought up Shea Patterson because that's my question football football question I have for you because I thought he stepped back a little bit in terms of precision in his throws, um, and and he's going to need to throw in intermediate routes, uh, particularly when he's going to have a hefty pass rush from uh, from number two where scarlet and gray on november 30th and uh, and and so i'm curious to know where are you with shea patterson and where where you think he is going to be in terms of productivity which i consider these really all three of these games being tough games down the stretch
2: well he's certainly uh, the best hope michigan has to uh to have a good november and and beat these remaining teams on their schedule i mean you've seen uh Uh, What is behind them? Two talented, good, developing quarterbacks, but St. Patterson's the best they've got right now. And uh, he's seen it. He's uh, getting used to this offense. Interesting that uh, he's throwing at about a 57% clip right now, given uh, he was at 64.6 a year ago. There's obviously been some growing pains in this offense, but if there was ever a time to step up and make it happen, uh, I I think it's now. He's got the running game. Uh, he's done. Uh, he's got some decent protection from Michigan's offensive line, but uh, he has to step up with these receivers. Uh, guys like Nico Collins, who has definitely proven himself to be a, a real standout receiver, Ronnie Bell, uh, he got picked up a little bit, but he has given them uh, some really good moments this year. And uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is coming on to some extent right now. They've got They've got the talent there they've got to make it happen and they've got to scheme some teams up especially ohio state with the with the things that uh, they like to do and as much heat as uh, as you mentioned that they're capable of putting on a quarterback
1: back in action a week from saturday november 16th after this bye week for michigan comes at a good time in the season as they prepare for that stretch run of three games remaining at seven and two. They can still get to 10 wins. They can shock the world, upset Ohio State in Ann Arbor and tilt the apple cart, so to speak, maybe get themselves to one of those New Year's Day bowl invitations. You've heard him here on our podcast. You can listen to him with Tom Crawford on the Wolverine.com podcast as well. Find them online, michigan.rivals.com, thewolverine.com, of course, as well. And you can follow him on Twitter at JB underscore Wolverine. John Borton, great catching up with you. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of the football season. We'll talk to you again during basketball season.
2: Thanks a lot, Ryan. Good to be with you, Tom, as well. All right. Talk to you soon, JB.
1: And that was John Borton of the Wolverine.com joining us here on the Great Lakes Divide Podcast. It's brought to you each and every time out by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Heather Frary, new music every Friday and all the greatest hits as well. Tom Crawford takes a stroll back through time. I don't know if he wears the polyester, the bell bottoms, not sure, but he definitely <laughs> thinks back to his glory years at the University of Michigan in the late 70s with the high-fidelity stereo system set up. They've got all that <laughs> equipment there and they've got the vinyl to prove it as well, Heather Ferrari moving to the front of the store. And again, Tom will have a conversation with her coming up next week during our Great Lakes Divide podcast. We thank the Record Lounge in Rio Town for their support. Turning the page now to Michigan State basketball. And last night, I think the matchup lived up to its billing. The Spartans falling just short in a 69-62 defeat at the hands of The Kentucky Wildcats and Tyrese Maxey, a coming-out party for that freshman for Kentucky. 32 minutes, he scored 26 points, and he looked very poised, comfortable, confident. Grabbed five rebounds as well. Spartans didn't have an answer for him. And the two areas that I said that Michigan State needed to execute to get a win, the first one, defense and rebounding, I think they did that. They held Kentucky to 38% shooting from the floor and 33% from three. Rebounding was even right down the middle at 30-30 apiece. I believe the defense, the rebounding were good enough for Michigan State to win, but woe be the perimeter shooting and the half-court offense that I was concerned about. This is something that's been bothering me about Michigan State for several years now is they don't have an effective, efficient, consistent half-court offense. They can get out and run. They can catch teams in transition. They can out-hustle certain teams, but against a team as long and as athletic and talented and physical and good defensively as Kentucky, uh, they were mired in a shooting slump throughout. They were just 5 of 26 from 3. That's 19.2%. Now, mind you, they shot around 50% from 2, but they lacked aggression going to the basket, attacking the rack. I was particularly disappointed in Xavier Tillman along these lines. This guy with a lot of experience, a a strong body, should be able to post up, get to the rim, get to the free throw line. And the Spartans couldn't do that either. With the exception of Cassius Winston, who went 10 for 11 from the line, only Marcus Bingham got to the line as many as four times. And other than him, Tillman got there for two and Kithier shot one. That's it. There were no points of the paint or moments where they were physical underneath, where they forced the issue, forced Kentucky to foul. The Wildcats did just that. They shot 32 free throws to the Spartans 18. And before you get carried away with all oh, the refs and bad calls and no, oh, they didn't call none, 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 no. The Spartans were called for 22 fouls. The Wildcats were fo- called for 20. The difference in this game was aggression to the aggressor. Go the foul calls and go the free throws. And the Spartans settled. For several shots on the perimeter, many were wide open in the shots that they should have taken, but a very mixed bag overall. you got a freshman in Kentucky and Maxie who scores 26, and Michigan State's heralded three freshmen combined for zero points. That's Rocket Watts, who was really flat in this performance. He looked like a, a fish out of water. Now, that's not to say after one game against an opponent like Kentucky on a stage like Madison Square Garden that Rocket Watts isn't going to be just fine. He will. But why couldn't Rocket Watts? go off for 26, like Maxi, or, or 13, or 4. He, he didn't get any. He was 0 for 4 from the floor and, again, looked very lost at, at many times on the floor. Those three freshmen combined for seven fouls, 0 for 6 from the floor. They do get uh, five rebounds between Marble and Hall, but the turnovers were a problem as well. Rocket Watts had three of those. Marble had one. Uh, Cassius Winston had an uncharacteristic four assist to three turnover ratio. Just too many of those. Sixteen turnovers committed by the Spartans to just ten for Kentucky. And you might remember a guy named Sestina for Kentucky as a sophomore against Michigan State when they had Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson a couple years ago, 2017 at Little Caesars Arena. And remember, the Spartans had to hold off the number 13 seed Bucknell Bison as a four seed, and they did that, but barely. And that was a harbinger of things to come, as MSU would then get uh, eliminated by Syracuse. But Sestina in that game had 7 points, 7 rebounds in 18 minutes. And guess what? Last night he had 7 points, 6 rebounds in 31 minutes as he uh, registered a start for Kentucky. Maxi came off the bench. We bring in Tom Crawford. And, Tom, I know you were busy digesting Michigan's survival act <laughs> against Appalachian State in Ann Arbor, but I'm sure you got a chance to catch up on Michigan State-Kentucky, the 69-62 Wildcats victory. I outlined the numbers. My thoughts in total overviewing this game – what were your thoughts? I know going in, we both thought MSU would win. They didn't. But coming out of it, your thoughts on the Spartans, their performance, and where they go from here?
0: Well, yeah, I listened to uh, you know pretty much most of the broadcast uh, of the first half on the way home uh, from to, to East Lansing, and I saw the entire second half. These games get pushed back so far. My God, that game didn't end until like twelve fifteen e- here in the Eastern time zone. You know, uh, Sestina, the, the guy you were talking about from, from Buck, now he was as important as anybody. I mean, that, this guy... This guy's a stud. He looks like a, you know, be a tight end in the NFL. That was a good acquisition for Kentucky. It was pretty obvious to me that Cal wanted to bring, Coach John Calipari wanted to, you know, take have his players take it to the rack and get to the free throw line. That's for certain. And you, you made a great point. That's how you get to the line. I mean, I'm listening to Stagg and Will Teeman, you know, just complaining about every call is against their team. Every freaking call was, like, oh, my God, home, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, there's a reason you could follow somebody. That means that guy's better than you. That's why that happens. It's just, it's just so natural. When I hate that one metric when people say, well, look at the disparity in the fouls. Well, maybe they're better than you. And I think that was the example last night. But that being said, this is so typical Michigan State. They start out sluggish. They'll look back at this game. They'll learn from this game. They got Binghamton coming up next, Um, and they'll get their act together. Uh, I'm sure this is probably a good thing in the long run to to be knocked off their perch. Preseason number one, there's a lot of pressures to go with that. I don't think this thing that happened last night is anything for Michigan State fans to freak out about.
2: No,
1: and I think uh, most Spartan fans that have followed this program know better, and of the four teams represented last night, uh, Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden, Only one of them made the final four last year, and that was Michigan State. And they beat one of the other teams, Duke, to do it, to get there. Cassius Winston, no problems here. Now, he didn't hit threes. He was only one of seven. But on the whole, 21 points to lead the Spartans, did have four assists, three turnovers, a little uncharacteristic for him. But it's his first game back. And he, remember, was hurt at the end of last season going through a bit of an ankle injury that he had to recoup from during this entire offseason, you know, get his fitness level back, all that sort of thing. I'm not worried at all about Cassius Winston. I am worried, however, about his supporting cast. No Josh Langford showed up in a big way. And again, the bugaboo for Michigan State, who's going to hit the perimeter jumper? Who's going to hit the three in the clutch like Matt McQuaid did so many times, like Kenny Goins did late in his career and against Duke most of all? Kyle Lawrence is going to be that guy, I think, and he's got to be that guy. Now, he's still coming back from an ankle injury, and he was limited with minutes last night in 21 on the floor. But you just see his approach, his hustle, his work ethic, his athleticism, his toughness mentally and physically on both ends of the floor I need more Kyle Arendt in my life, and I like the upside still of Marcus Bingham. He's put on more muscle. He had six boards, second on the roster behind Xavier Tillman's nine, had seven points, was not afraid to shoot, did miss the one three he shot, but was three of six from the floor. And I think Bingham's role will be more well-defined going forward. Uh, Kithier's going to be fine. He's got the mask. He plays tough. Uh, he's going to be physical. He's good defender. Only played 19 minutes, of course, coming off of that broken nose. Aaron Henry you know, wasn't that bad. He was kind of invisible for a lot of this game, but sometimes in a good way. He was the only one of the starting five that did not commit a single turnover. He had nine points, which was second to Cassius's 21. Uh, didn't maybe take enough shots, I think. I mean, he's unselfish. I get that. Had three helpers, but was four of seven from the floor. I think Tillman underperformed in large regard based on what I said a little bit earlier. He was settling for three-point shots. Here's a guy that was three of five from the floor from two. And O of 3 from 3. And I don't mind, Xavier you're shooting the threes, but when you become kind of reluctant and hesitant and you're settling on the perimeter, that's a recipe for disaster for a team like Michigan State. And the freshmen have to come along. Uh, Rocket Watts in particular, but Marble and Hall both looked overmatched and, and kind of glazed over like, wow, this is the big time. Welcome to the college basketball world moment. Still like Gabe Brown. Still think Gabe Brown, he was not afraid to shoot. He took a, a team high second on the team. Uh, 10 shots behind Cassius Winston's 12. Only made three of those and was only two of six from three, but you need him shooting, and I think he's a good shooter. Uh, The rims were tight last night, maybe a little bit. Blame it on whatever you want, but I don't see the Spartans going five of 26 from three too many more times this season. Foster Lawyer is still lost in the wilderness. I don't know about him. They need him to play. He is the backup point. You want Rocket Watts off the ball as much as possible. He can play the point. He's a combo guard. But so those were the ups and downs. I would say Arnes, Bingham, Winston all get pluses from me. Uh, the freshman Watts, Marble Hall are behind the curve. They're going to need to catch up and hopefully do it in a hurry. And, and Lawyer a little bit off the map as well. Um, anything else? And I know you got home in time to watch the second half of this game, Tom, but I just want to get your thoughts on, on where Michigan State kind of measures themselves now against a team like Kentucky, how good Kentucky is, and what MSU needs to do most to improve.
0: Well, we're sitting here at November sixth, so I, you know, and, and as we're taping right now, I'm watching Ohio State struggle with Cincinnati. They're at home, and he, we, the, the other Big Ten team. I mean, we, it wasn't a good night last no. last night for for the Big Ten. I mean, Illinois lost. I mean, uh, UC Riverside beat. I don't know who they beat. Uh, they beat a Big Ten team, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, this is it's you know, but it's it's November the sixth. Back to your comments about Kyle Arms, if if he's your perimeter shooter, is he your go-to guy? Michigan State has got some perimeter problems. In they're going to have to come up with somebody better than. I mean, yeah, he can hit them, but my God, I think you hit it. The void of Matt McQuay and Kenny Goins could be glaring. I mean, the three-point line has been moved back, and yet teams are going to be hitting the three. So it's it's still part of the game. So that would concerns me, Aaron Henry. Well, I mean, how how many minutes did he play in that first half? He got in foul trouble when a uh, half. Their t- I mean, their starting five at the end of the first half was on the bench. I mean, when you had everyone had two fouls, so it's almost like you take that game last night as a one-off
1: mm-hmm. for
0: a lot of reasons. Um, I don't think you can draw a lot of conclusions um, from it. I mean, because it, we're, we're, there's so much development going on before we even get to. To December and before they get to Maui over Thanksgiving. Yep. Uh, by the time Duke comes to town uh, and he's Lansing in the Big Ten ACC challenge, then I think you'll see a whole different Michigan State team.
1: I agree. Not time to push the panic button. It's one game, and you know of these four teams that get together, two are going to win and two are going to lose. So it's not like Kansas <laughs> is beating themselves up over a tremendous game. That was a great one between them and Duke. And the Blue Devils found a way there. But, you know, Kansas, Michigan State, they'll regroup. MSU will have Binghamton come to Breslin on Sunday for their home opener. That's a 7 o'clock Eastern start on Big Ten Network. Tom and I will recap that game with our weekend podcast, along with recapping Michigan State football as well. So the Spartans fall to Kentucky 69-62. Some things to work on, some teachable moments, and no doubt whatsoever that Tom Izzo and his coaching staff will get right to work on this. Might even see a, a new approach as soon as Sunday with, uh, again, these freshmen. Got to get the minutes. Got to get them comfortable. They're going to be contributors, both uh, Hall and Marble off the bench, and especially Rocket Watts starting in the backcourt, Michigan State. Again, uh, that the next game home against Binghamton on Sunday, and then it's the uh, Gavit tip-off games. That'll be Thursday, November 14th on the road against Seton Hall. We turn now to football and a lot of drama for Michigan State, and none of it good. 4-4 four and four on the season, nowhere near the college football playoff rankings. I don't know the Michigan State fans were even watching that last night, knowing they wouldn't be within sniffing distance there. But the big news of the past week, Joe Bocce popped for a PED violation. Didn't get a lot of answers from Mark D'Antonio in his weekly press conference as the team prepares for one of the hottest teams in the Big Ten, that's Illinois, coming to town. Somehow, the Spartans right now, Remain fourteen and a half point favorites. That one is blowing my mind. But first to Bocci, and here's Coach D'Antonio addressing the suspension of his two time senior captain.
4: Yeah, you know, um, first of all, it was it was uh, it was a tough deal last Thursday when we when we made the announcement to the team. Joe is still a part of our football team. Comes to practices and is basically a student coach. him to be involved with us. Plans to be at the game on Saturday as well. Um, he's just ineligible to play right now as we go through this. But we want to keep him a part of our, our process. I think that's that's what we want to do. That's what he would like to do as well. So that's number one. Number two is, hey, everybody's got to pick it up. Everybody's got to play one eleventh better to make up for a guy that's lost. Um, he's a very good football player. He's a team leader. Everybody's got to move in that direction as well. Who, feels that vo- who fills that void, void as a team leader I think is important as well. But we've got guys that – that um, have led in the past and are leaders within themselves, and they'll pick up the slack. So thus far what we've had is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, very good practices as well as uh, yesterday. So um, the energy is very, very good. And uh, like I keep t- saying, you know, young people are resilient, and um, they put things over here, and it's an opportunity for somebody else to step forward. Further than that point, uh, D'Antonio
1: was pressed on Bocce's role with the team. This one raised my eyebrows a bit when I heard about it and as the uh, current appeal is pending, I suppose you don't want to condemn the young man uh, unless or until that final determination is made, but once that final determination is made, and all signs are pointing to that it's not going to be overturned, the suspension's going to be for the rest of the season and the rest of Bocce's college football career. Holding him in the program, though, as a a viable source of information, here's how D'Antonio explained. How much education do you guys put into, in terms of telling guys what they can and can't put in their bodies, and did you have to do yeah. it again this week? Constant.
4: Constant education. So they're they're fully aware? They're of... fully aware. Absolutely. Fully like, aware. Our training staff and our weight staff, they, they do a great job. So Fully aware. So, you know, I'm not going to um, second-guess that aspect of it.
1: And then do you have any hope that this appeal will come through? Was this accidental, or is there any more details you can share on that?
4: Um, again, I don't know the, the – that's, that's up to our trainers and our medical staff to figure all those things out. And uh, that's something that Joe has to share with them in terms of what, what went on, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I can't tell you the time frame. I can't tell you any of you know, those type of things because we really have not gone through it before. And I got mixed feelings on that, Tom, and I'll tell
1: you flat out the way that my old high school coach, Joe Bechtel, would have handled this at Grass Lake High School. He's in the Hall of Fame, and I only played baseball for him, but he coached football there, too, And the athletic complex within which the new football stadium down there bears his name. Guy gets popped for something like this. Guy gets caught at a party smoking pot or drinking or whatever. You're done. You're gone. Didn't matter what your last name was, who your parents were in town. Didn't matter how good of a player you were. You were Done. That sent a strong and powerful message throughout the community on two fronts. One, parents didn't question it. They never questioned it, at least while I was growing up. You didn't get these namby pambies going to the school board. Oh, my son's gotta play. And no, no. Joe Bechtel, it began and started <laughs> and ended with him. And he, he he had the final say, and that was that. That was that. And we knew it as players. We knew we aren't gonna go to parties. We aren't gonna get popped. We aren't gonna get, you know, in trouble because that would cost us our spot on the team. And to have that kind of standard. It sends a message, it sets the bar, and it establishes credibility and, I think, uh, integrity of the program. For Joe Bocci now to be in limbo, having failed a PED test, for which there is no excuse. And I want to reemphasize that point because D'Antonio made that as well. Now, Mark D'Antonio is claiming he's not involved in this appeal process. This is up to Sally Nogle and the training staff. This is up to Ken Manny and the strength and conditioning staff. No, it is not. D'Antonio has to be aware. He has to be involved. He has to know what the substance was that Joe Bacci got popped for. He has to know the why. I'm sure Joe Bacci had to explain that to Mark D'Antonio. Now, I'm not saying he has to air his dirty laundry entirely in public for the media and the fans to see, but he owes them, I think, some explanation at some point, and if the appeal is ongoing, I get it, but as soon as that's done one way or the other we got to know details here. Joe Bocci put himself in this position. Nobody else. Sally Nogle didn't do it. Ken Manny didn't do it. Mark D'Antonio didn't do it. His teammates didn't do it. Fans sure as hell didn't do it. So Joe, Joe Bocci's got to be accountable. And he's in a position as a captain where that's even more of a focus. So to have him on as he's being called as like a college assistant coach, Tom, how oh, do you God. feel about that? And, and How would you feel if Jim Harbaugh did that with a player that got popped for PEDs? Oh, it's ridiculous.
0: I mean... Uh, <laughs> I don't understand this whole response to this, you know, re- realization that, you know, that Bocce failed this test and he's out. This appeal process where the guy, the player, admits, apologizes that he did it. And then D'Antonio's acting like, you know, there's no repercussions for it. We're going to appeal it. He's still on the team. He's uh, he's helping us out. You're right. No accountability. This is the problem in Michigan State right now. I don't understand what has happened in this program because Mark antonio to me my, my image of him uh back in the 13 14 season tough guy you know disciplinarian no nonsense and then all of a sudden these last few years things have changed dramatically and maybe you know how time the austin robertson recruitment of a kid uh, down in Indianapolis, who was who had a, 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 a was on record of, of, of sexual assault. I'm not sure how that played out, verdict-wise. But to, to the fact that you offered him a scholarship uh, and, and you were being forewarned about it, and you still did. From that point forward, this program at Michigan State, in my estimation, is is is, is becoming uh, undisciplined. Let's just put it that way. And lacking leadership. And it's definitely showing up on the playing field.
1: I'll take it a step further, Tom, because I'm in lockstep with you on this. And going back to my Joe Bechtel example, you are what you tolerate. And the question I come out of this entire press conference with for Mark D'Antonio is, is PED use okay? Of course, he's going to say no. Well, if it's not okay, why are you enabling it? A violator, a guy that broke the rules. And you could say to whatever degree it was a mistake, it was an oversight, it was negligence. Joe Bocci was irresponsible in that moment for whatever he did, for whatever he took, for however accidental it was, and I have my doubts severely. But here's what Mark D'Antonio could have said and done instead. He could have said, Joe Bocci has meant a great deal to this football program, and we thank him for everything that he's contributed, both on the field and off. However, today, we are disappointed for Joe Bocci, and we are disappointed in Joe Bocci. He was a leader on this team, and he let his teammates down. And for that reason, no matter what your position is on this team, we have to bid you farewell, bid you, you know, wish you the best. You know, we'll support you in whatever way as you proceed on to the NFL, but your time here at Michigan State is done. And this would be the case whether you were Joe Bocce or Joe Williams on the bottom of the depth chart. But the fact that you keep Bocce around, it not only enables him. It sends a message, a dangerous one, Tom, in my opinion, to the rest of the team, Kenny Willicus, Raquan Williams, go on down the list to say, well, if you do get popped for PEDs, yeah, maybe you don't get to play, but you can still hang around, you can still be part of the team, you can still participate in practice, you can still kind of be a coach, you can still go on the road. No, to me, that's a zero tolerance policy for anybody on your team. And it goes back to the word that you just used accountability. We are holding Joe Bacci accountable. We don't like it. We're sad that it happened, but he did it. He's got to be responsible for it. It's time to pay the Piper. Bye Joe.
0: Bye. Well, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. This thing plays out and, and, uh, and along with that lines, Ryan on, on Saturday performance against Illinois, how disciplined that team is, what that, where they're at, where's this team at, emotionally, hunger-wise, how, how 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 much hustle is out there? Who is the leader on that team both sides of the ball? Boy, Saturday is going to be really, really compelling football when they kick off at 3.30 at Spartan Stadium in front of probably 50,000 fans.
1: Yeah, I'd be surprised, Tom, if maybe half the stadium wasn't empty there. And we'll get into our prediction for Michigan State-Illinois in just a moment. One final bit of sound, though, from Coach D'Antonio in his weekly press conference
4: describing his team as a wounded animal all our focus is right here it's on ourselves it's on what are you going to do now Uh, it's on Illinois the entire focus and I think our players are very focused right now in terms of what they have to do Um, sort of a wounded animal a little bit type of mentality you know so we know what we have to get done we know it we, we understand the the situation I think that we're in here um, with, uh, with just where we've been and what, what's gone on, you know. I mean, the two bye weeks, all these different things I'm talking about. Uh, so I think we understand that, but I go back to what I said before. Young people are very resilient. I think our guys are excited to play. We've had very good practices, very good energy practices, you know, guys with a lot of energy, guys sort of pushing the, pushing and stoking the fires a little bit and things of that nature. So um, we've got to get ourselves ready to go. That's That's the bottom line, you know you only got so much time, and then that an hourglass flips. And you've got, uh, you got opportunities to get it done. So four days plus, about four days from now, you know we're going. Well, they're wounded all right. They're without their
1: best top leading receiver in Daryl Stewart, the guy that has the most catches, yards, touchdowns, outs. They're without their middle linebacker, senior, captain, best player on defense, Joe Bocce. Somehow, someway, with those two facts being known to all the sharps in Vegas, this line opened, I believe, at 13. It went up to 15. It's settling in at 14 and a half. And the joke that I made both on Twitter and with Tom and now sharing with you here on the Great Lakes Divide podcast, I don't know if the Spartans are going to score 14 or 15 points, let alone the concept of them winning by 14 Or 15 points. Here's an Illinois team that defensively has been stalwart over the last two games, I believe allowing a total of 16 points defensively. They only allowed 23 to a vaunted Wisconsin attack. And really since halftime of the Michigan game, this has been a good defensive team, the Illini. And they've got some studs we'll talk about in just a moment. But your initial reaction, Tom, to the Spartans somehow after all this, in the wake of this bad news, one bad beat after another, Michigan State somehow at home still being 14 and a half point favorites.
0: Well, I think it's just the fact that they think that the this uh Illini, this Levy bubble will burst for the uh finding Illini and it, they'll go back to being Illinois. I think it's kind of like the Minnesota thing where people just can't believe um, that they're, they're they're that good. I mean, but with, you know, Illinois did beat Wisconsin in Champaign, and they got a lot of momentum. And I'm, you know, I I think this game is going to be determined more by how Michigan State approaches it, um, both in the environment of the stadium, as I indicated. I mean, when you see uh, tickets going on StubHub for that game, decent seats for $6. Yeah. um, That pretty much gives you, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a viewpoint of where this game is going to be in terms of. Uh, you know, a great, you know, tough environment for the opposition. I think if Illinois jumps out early and gets a score, uh, they got they got some athletes uh, that they could and a decent quarterback who, we, you know, we've seen him, Brandon Peters. Uh, Michigan State could be in trouble.
1: They could be. And these are two offenses that out of 130 Division I FBS programs have struggled immensely. MSU overall total offense on the year 108 out of 130. The Illini are even worse, 114 out of 130. Two quarterbacks who have underperformed right around 56% completion rate. Jim Caldwell once told me, former head coach of the Lions that the benchmark he looks for in a starting quarterback, granted at the NFL level, but I would say college too, is 63%. These two both well below that. They're averaging below seven yards per pass attempt They've suffered from sacks and bad offensive line play, both Brandon Peters and Brian Lewerke. Lawerke's without Daryl Stewart, and the Spartans have struggled to establish things on the ground. Now, passing, this might surprise you. They're in the middle of the pack nationally, MSU, 64th out of 130. That's where Illinois is really bad. They're 115th, but the Illini have a middling rushing game with Reggie Corbin and Dre Brown. These two have combined for over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. Michigan State, though, running the football has been abysmal, 118 out of 130 FBS programs. I feel bad for Elijah Collins. He doesn't have a lot of room to operate, just 4.7 yards per carry. He's been used as a bell cow, 115 carries on the year, but just 545 total yards. And get this, in eight games so far, they're 4-4, four and four, Tom. Would you have believed before the season that I would tell you Michigan State had less touchdowns than games played? In eight games, they have seven rushing touchdowns. That's it on the ground. It's mystifying to me.
0: Well, it takes you back to the Rutgers game of last year in East Lansing, a game that uh, Michigan State won the game. But anybody that was there or admits that they were there, because that's one of those games you admit you were not there. (laughs) Rutgers was driving to win the game. Rutgers. Rutgers. And he's uh, to end that season, um, you know, and then they end up losing the Red Box Bowl, whatever, and they looked uh, terrible. I think that was against Arizona State. Um, yeah, it doesn't look good. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tip my uh, hand right now. I'm, I'm not picking uh, Michigan State to beat Illinois. <laughs> I mean, I think Michigan State's going to lose these next two games and, may, and, and maybe split the Maryland Rutgers thing. I see one, maybe two wins at the most. It's probably going to be one. And now, probably be against Rutgers. Well,
1: I can't say I deviate from you or disagree with you, Tom. I mean, on defense, this is where I think the Illini have turned the corner. They've got Oluwole Batiku at eight sacks on the defensive end. Guess what? He gets to play against uh, Tyler Higby or you know, who cares? It's going to be an absolute mismatch. He'll work. He's going to get pummeled into the ground. You watch. Just watch. A Daily Harding is the middle linebacker. He's a, a versatile all-around guy. You know, kind of like, oh, I don't know, Joe Bocci was past tense for Michigan State. He's got three picks on the year, leads the team with 107 total tackles, 43 of those solo. And his oh, right-hand wingman of the weak side linebacker spot is Jake Hansen. He's got three and a half sacks. I don't think the Spartans are going to score much in this game. It probably will be tough sledding for a while for Illinois, but I think they get their ground game established. This is a team in Illinois that's feeling really good about itself. It's ha- it has momentum. They have something to play for. They've got confidence. Lovey Smith has instilled something in this bunch. What is Michigan State playing for? What do they have to look forward to? They've got Joe Bocce now on the sidelines. I think that's going to have a severe psychological effect on this defense that was otherwise doing its part and pulling its weight. You don't have Daryl Stewart. You're going to turn to Cody White as a primary receiver. You're going to force guys out of position, out of action here. You know, Michigan State just doesn't have the weapons. I mean, Larese Nelson, that's going to be the guy to come in along with C.J. Hayes. You're already down Cam Chambers who transferred out. I think Michigan State's going to be an absolute mess offensively. Illinois <laughs> gets it done, and, and both Tom and I not only like the Illini to cover, but I feel very strongly about Illinois winning this game. My final score, Tom, Illinois 20. Michigan State seventeen. What do you oh,
0: say? Oh my God, you you we're hanging out too much together. I got twenty to fourteen. Michigan or Illinois beating Michigan State. I, I think it's gonna, you know, Illinois is not strong enough to, to go in and, and, and blow them out. And Michigan State will have some lick of pride but think on that team. Uh, but no, I, I got I got a W for Illinois, and I do that without hesitation.
1: I do, too, because this team on defense for Michigan State, sure, they're number 20 overall in the nation and 25 against the run, but that was with Joe Bocce in the middle directing traffic. You're going to tell me, as Mark D'Antonio tried to sell us this bill of goods, that a guy coming in for Joe Bocce in the form of Noah Harvey, a redshirt sophomore, poor kid, that he's going to call out plays, that he's going to identify offensive line and formations. and Get out of here! With that nonsense, it's the most important position on the field for a 4-3 right. defense is middle linebacker, and you've got the best in the business, in the conference, and Joe Bocci, gone. That doesn't have a, a net zero effect. Just take that nonsense and pedal it elsewhere. Both Tom and I have Illinois winning uh, Tom 20-14, to 14, me 20-17. to 17. We were both right on Michigan covering at Maryland last week, so that puts Tom right up on uh, knocking on the door of 500. <laughs> And me, one game over. Um, <laughs> 3:30 start time, as Tom mentioned, Eastern time on Fox Sports One. Real quickly, some other big games in the Big Ten this weekend. Number four, Penn State, six and a half point favorites at number seventeen, Minnesota. I've got Penn State winning that game, Tom, 31-21, and then Iowa at Wisconsin, number eighteen, Hawkeyes versus the number thirteen Badgers. Wisconsin favored by nine and a half at home. I've got them covering. Twenty-four ten, Wisconsin over Iowa. Do you agree or disagree with those two picks?
0: Well, I, the one I disagree, I mean, I, I got uh, Penn State winning more. I mean, I got oh. him like 35-17. Okay, over okay. Yeah, I, I think that the, the party's over for PJ. He's got his nice little seven-year extension, and that's cool, <laughs> and I'm happy for what he's done. Yeah. But now you're playing actually a team? I mean, who the hell are they beating? I mean, if if, if you if you put Minnesota in those teams that we're talking about on the CFP in the top six or whatever, any one of those six teams or eight teams in there would absolutely hammer Minnesota, yeah. including Penn State.
1: It's been nice while it lasted, but I'm with Tom on yeah. this one. The jig is up. The party's over. Uh, Minnesota at home will get punched in the mouth by Penn State, and the Nittany Lions will keep their playoff hopes alive. Final thought on those college football playoff rankings that we saw. I was pleased with the committee's work, Tom. Both you and I have been saying – All year long, Ohio State's the best team in the land. Well, they're number one in the playoff rankings. LSU is number two. They've got several big wins under their belt. They go to number three, Alabama. That's virtually a play-in game or a play-to-stay-alive game in Tuscaloosa this weekend, where Alabama's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. A little bit of a surprise, Penn State number four. Clemson on the outside looking in at five. But when it's all said and done, these are the teams I think will be in the playoff, Tom, in order. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson will win out. And LSU, I think, will cling after losing a narrow game at Alabama, not having to play in the SEC title game. I think they'll sneak in as the number four ahead of the Oregon-Utah winner. Should those two teams both run the table and meet in the Pac-12 championship, Oklahoma's got too much traffic in front of them regardless, and I don't think Penn State survives the Ohio State game. Do you agree with those four picks? Do you see another team making the playoff other than Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, LSU?
0: No, I see that. I mean, freaking Clemson sitting there, the pampered child. I mean, they, <laughs> they all, all they got to do. I mean, they, they don't play anybody. I, I think they have South Carolina, don't they? Those two teams play at the end. Yes. Um, where, where that might be, you know, South Carolina did beat Georgia. Yes. But my God, did the, the, the Clemson so blessed because those other teams play each other in front of them. Yep. Um, I, you got to go eighteen playoff. I'm so. disgusted with this whole thing. It just annoys the hell out of me every year. And the last time I hear this person, some commentator says, yeah, the system's working. No, it's not. It's not working. It's not right. Get it fixed. ASAP. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and I would conclude our conversation, Tom, by saying how would this eight-team playoff look with Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, then whoever emerges from Oregon, Utah, one-loss team in the Pac-12, Oklahoma, the one-loss team from the Big 12, Penn State, maybe only a one-loss team, and that would be to Ohio State, And Georgia could end up either a one loss team or a two loss team that loses in the SEC title game to Alabama. I think those eight teams are all worthy.
0: I don't think of the money that could be made. (laughs) I mean, it's, 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 I mean, then that's the bottom line. Someone gets a TV package together, then this thing was, then all of a sudden we'll get real smart. Um, But (laughs) I'm not holding my breath.
1: Well, he'll have to hold it at least through this weekend. We'll be coming at you probably Sunday night, Monday morning, because we want to get that Michigan State-Binghamton basketball game in for our next podcast. Until then, enjoy Saturday's games. A lot of big ones on tap, including LSU-Alabama, Penn State-Minnesota, Iowa-Wisconsin, and, of course, Illinois-Michigan State on FS1. That's a 3.30 Eastern time kickoff. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Shuley. Going out to the sounds of the record lounge provided to you by Heather Frary and her staff. Ready and willing to serve you, South Washington from 496. It's due south on the east side of the road, front part of the Rio Town Marketplace, the record lounge in Rio Town. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the games.
3: I'm mm-hmm.